This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Mike Tuey, President and CEO of the Waterways Council, Incorporated. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing at a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S. Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Mike Tuey next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. They know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. The plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy. And you can learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The nation's waterways infrastructure has proven a tremendous asset in helping the nation's farmers ship their products to customers around the world. But today, that reliable system is showing its age. President and CEO of the Waterways Council, Mike Tuey, says the system just recently received a barely passing grade. The American Society of Civil Engineers gave it a D-plus in their most recent analysis of infrastructure. And that's primarily because uh, we have a wonderful 12,000-mile system, but that system was put in place primarily during the New Deal of Franklin Roosevelt and hasn't been modernized since. And so the Corps of Engineers, which maintains the system, has a uh, tremendous Herculean challenge to keep these antiquated locks and dams uh, functioning as they were intended but remember, they were only intended to last for 50 years, and so uh, they're showing their age. And, for example, today, Lock uh, 52 is closed to navigation. There are 69 towboats with 746 barges stranded there uh, as a result of uh, American manufacturers, uh, energy producers, petroleum markets are... Uh, straining, waiting for these goods, and it couldn't happen as a worse time as we're beginning to move agricultural products to market uh, as we have harvested our nation's grain crop. If we're thinking about the waterways infrastructure, is it just agriculture, or how much more of the life's blood of the nation's commerce, how much of it depends on this waterways infrastructure? Well, agriculture is a big component because 60% of all grain moved to export goes by the waterways. But they are not the only commodity that uses the waterways. Petrochemicals make up 9% of the tonnage, sand and gravel 13%, petroleum products make up 28%, coal is 23%, iron and steel ores and minerals, uh, 7%. So we are the building blocks of the nation's economy, and in many parts of the uh, United States, we're the ones that keep the wheels turning on our motor freight and passenger vehicles. So we still have other infrastructure, roadways, railroads, and runways, 
but where do waterways fit in the scheme of the the system of, of transportation? Well, about 575 million tons, valued at about $230 billion, moves annually on the waterways. Now, rail moves slightly more than that, and truck moves tremendously more than that. 1.6 billion tons of product moved by truck. I'm told by some farmers who've had the opportunity to tour some of the nation's locks and dams that there's one in particular in Illinois they can hit it with their hand and concrete falls in the water. Is that so? It's called LaGrange, yes. That facility was put into service in 1939. If you were to go there and look at the facility, you would see it's a multicolored facility. The Corps usually paints all of their machinery red, but if you were to go there, you'd see a little white, you'd see a little green color. And that's because they have to cannibalize the parts from other places throughout the United States to keep that lock functioning because we're not making the parts for 1939 hydraulic technology anymore. The concrete, uh, you know, is uh, 78 years old, and it's been through many uh, freeze-thaw cycles, and it's showing its age. The walkway is closed on parts of that lock, and the guide wall is actually being held together with cable. It's falling over, and if you were to stand on it and look, you will see that it deviates towards the shore by about 10 degrees, and so... uh, not a really good example of a reliable infrastructure piece. And what's doubly troubling is there is no redundancy at that lock. Our newer locks have two locks so that if one goes down, the other is still available for operation. But in that 1939 LaGrange lock, there is only one that is able to pass traffic. And so if it goes down, Traffic northbound to Chicago, de-icer, fertilizers for the spring planting, gasoline, uh, cement, chemicals would not move northbound to those markets, nor will grain and other manufactured goods move southbound. How long have you been calling on Congress for improvements in this infrastructure? Well, we've been advocating for many decades, but uh, in 2008, we uh, sat down with the Corps and said, look, uh, it's taken 35 years to now modernize a facility where we used to be able to build these in uh, four years. Something's wrong, and let's figure out what that is, and let's go to Congress and uh, ask them to help fix that. And so... Working with the Inland Waterway Users Board, the Corps of Engineers, uh, uh, and the board jointly came up with a series of recommendations in 2010, and it took about four years to socialize those recommendations before Congress enacted them. And as a result of that, we now have four projects under construction where we used to have only one. We have increased revenue into the trust fund, which pays half the cost of the projects, uh, when the users agreed to a 45% increase in their user fee or the diesel tax, it went up in April 1, 2015 from 20 cents a gallon to 29 cents a gallon. And so that is currently funding about a $410 million a year construction program, whereas before those changes were made in uh, the Water Resources Reform and Development Act of 2014, 
we had only one project under construction. So we're making progress, but we have 25 projects that are ready to go to construction, four are under construction. With the President's Infrastructure Initiative, we're very interested in expediting the construction of these projects where we could have all of them uh, under construction and many of them funded in the President's time frame of the next 10 years with an infusion of $8.8 billion, some from the Inland Waterway Trust Fund and some from Infrastructure Investment Program Funds. But uh, we've yet to see the President's initiative yet, and uh, it looks like we're getting close to some very substantive recommendations being released by the administration in the next month or so. Uh, And so we're looking forward to that and then working with Congress to bring that to reality. So it is this infrastructure that for so many years has been the U.S. farmer's asset of gaining global customers because we've been able to expeditiously get our product to the port and then to our customer. And now this is the same system failing uh, that is causing hardship for those deliveries and at the same time affecting cash basis for farmers as they sell crops this fall. Well, it's also creating concern in our foreign customer base about whether the U.S. is a reliable market. We would say that the system is very reliable, but it's showing its age. We have a plan to modernize it, and an $8.8 billion investment will go a long way to delivering a reliable and efficient and modern transportation system. The president came to Cincinnati on the banks of the Ohio River, talked about the vitality of the inland system and the need to modernize it. He's probably the first president since Roosevelt who's talked about the importance of the inland waterway system. So he gets it, but we need to see his proposal and we need Congress to act on it and find a way to fund these uh, modernization efforts. Mike, this is a day where our country is much more concerned about environmental sustainability. Uh, has has environment and concern for the environment uh, had an effect on the plans and potentially the construction of these projects? Well, uh, I would suggest that if, if you're concerned about the environment, that the safest mode of transportation, the most environmentally friendly, least accidents, least fatalities, least carbon emissions is the waterway form of transportation. And so that's where you want to invest. You know, one towboat with 15 barges keeps 1,050 trucks off the highways. And as we address our nation's congestion and look at the pollution caused by idling congestion, what better way than to turn to the waterways, which have capacity to move products, which move it in the most fuel-efficient manner, one gallon of diesel fuel, will move one ton of freight 647 miles. Uh, compare that to uh, 483 miles by, uh, by rail and a little over 70 miles by truck. So where would you want as an environmentally friendly mode, which is the one you would pick? Well, you would, I hope, pick the most fuel efficient, least carbon emissions, least accidents, least spills, over any other mode, and that's waterways. And the other benefit the waterways have on economics is that they provide competition, 
and many uh, shippers feel that they are uh, constrained because their only mode is rail. But for those shippers that are near water, rail rates are significantly less than they are when you're a captive shipper. And a shipper today using water will save $25 a ton compared to what it would cost them to go by rail. Mike, there may be some who would suggest better to just repair the system that we have instead of building new. Yeah, and my analogy with that would be, well, take a look at what a 1929 truck uh, looks like and think back to what that capacity uh, of that vehicle is. And if you rehab that that 1929 truck, would you want to put that into commerce today? Would that be your efficient use of of transportation? And the answer is, of course, no, that a 1929 truck is nowhere as competitive as a 2017 truck. Uh, The same applies for locks. They were built at a time when uh, towboats were still powered by steam and uh, could only push a limited number of barges, and so therefore we have these smaller locks that are still in service today, whereas when we build new, we build a 1,200-foot lock, which will accommodate 15 barges and a modern towboat of four to 6,000 horsepower, which moves these commodities, as I said earlier, very efficiently. So why would you want to continue to invest in keeping 1929 technology as your freight movement standard. The president's plan for infrastructure is a trillion dollars. What success have you had or what uh, what opportunity has there been to make your case before this administration and when might we anticipate that Congress would pick up the task? We had the opportunity to meet with the special assistant to the president for infrastructure, some of our CEOs from the shipping and carrier community, Uh, attended that meeting. We made our case for investment in the waterways. Frankly, they were more interested in trying to do a public-private partnership that's different than the one we have today. Today, the commercial uh, operators pay a a, a tax into a trust fund, which pays half the cost of the project, and then it's built by the public sector. So that's our public-private partnership, but what they're interested in is turning the locks over to a private enterprise uh, like Macquarie uh, Corporation, allow them to build or rebuild the project, and then allow them to place a toll on the facility that would allow them to recoup their investment plus a 15% return on that investment. And so when we analyze that, that in some areas would mean, well, that'd be like $2.20 a ton. And that would basically price this transportation mode out of existence. So we are very concerned about trying to place a toll on only one beneficiary of the inland waterways, the commercial operators and their customers, because the rate would be so high that we could not afford to operate on that system the options in our mind are you, if you're going to toll the facility, you need to toll all the beneficiaries or recognize that there are widespread benefits and have a general fund component to that, which is what we use currently. These benefits are not um, recouped by fees or charges. 
we recognize that these beneficiaries are widespread, and therefore we use general fund of the Treasury monies to pay for their benefit uh, in the cost-sharing formulas. Uh, but, you know, there are 11.8 million recreational boats registered with the United States Coast Guard. They place the same wear and tear as a commercial lockage on our nation's infrastructure. They pay nothing. The navigation dams generate $1.1 billion of net income to the federal treasury, yet none of that money comes back to the Corps of Engineers for maintaining, operating, or modernizing the nation's dams. They expect the commercial operators to pay for that. And uh, flood damage prevention, water supply. Water supply is a free good, but yet the navigation dams provide a dependable year-round source of water for industrial use, for cooling uh, the power plants, for manufacturing use, for agricultural use, and for municipal water supply. No, no entity pays for the use of that raw water. It's a free benefit provided by the navigation dam. So the public policy question, it seems to us, before the decision-makers is, should all beneficiaries pay a toll for this facility, or should we recognize other beneficiaries than commercial through general fund monies being put into the project? And so it doesn't seem fair to single out one entity to pay 100% of the cost and subsidize all these other beneficiaries. Uh, and if you were a pure economist, you would say you would charge all these other beneficiaries. We're not suggesting that. We we think the existing arrangement of providing general fund monies to match what the commercial beneficiaries pay has worked and will continue to work, continue our public policy. But we're going to have a debate about this because there are many private for-profit entities that look at the opportunity to rebuild dams and to take the ownership of these locks, and then they have ownership and captive customers, and then they can charge the toll as they see fit. We need to look at what the consequence of that would be to our nation's shippers or regions of the country because you know, we've invested based on current federal policy, but if we can change the rules, those that have invested on the locking rivers are now going to be at a serious competitive disadvantage compared to those that aren't on locking rivers. Therefore, farm ground in Illinois, Iowa, Missouri, Minnesota, Wisconsin would be devalued. You couldn't get your commodities to the export market. But your competitors in Arkansas, you know, uh, Lower Kentucky, so on, would gain advantage because they could take over your export market and serve it, and as well as Brazil and Colombia and other emerging grain markets. So, you know, why would we as a, a national policy want to add costs to our family farmer at a moment in time when the world is beginning to turn to America? to buy its grains as we grow our world population. There aren't many places to go for excess production of your food stocks. We need to invest to be ready for that, but we don't need to price American farmers out of that export opportunity, in my view. Mike, from your view and from your perspective, how important is the President's plan and the Congress' intent for tax reform to the success of this infrastructure investment? 
Well, we're uncertain because the repatriation funds, which makes a lot of sense to bring capital that's parked overseas and bring it back to the United States by reducing the tax rate on those funds so that we invest in America, could be used to offset other uh, programs than infrastructure. And so there's a lot of uh, a lot of eyes casting uh, looks upon that that pot of funds. Mike Tui, we want to thank you very much for taking time to spend with us here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and sir, you have an open forum. Well, you can tell that we're very passionate at the Waterways Council about investing in America and, and creating opportunity for not only exports, but more efficient use of transportation to reduce cost for manufacturers. We appreciate the interest because uh, we think that this is uh, uh, vital to the future of our economy. And, you know, Dwight Eisenhower, when he was uh, a young lieutenant, uh, made a trip across the United States, and it was so slow that when he became president, he took that experience and created the nation's defense and interstate highway system by imposing a modest uh, user fee called a gasoline tax, and now we enjoy this premier transportation system, and we hope that our leaders today will remember that it's the transportation building block of our economy that creates the wealth that allows us to fund the benefits that make us the best country in the world, the country that takes care of its system, its uh, citizens better than anyone else, the country that is able to fund premier national defense, which allows us to enjoy the freedoms we salute the flag every day for. Our thanks to Mike Tuey, President and CEO of the Waterways Council, Incorporated. Our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing at a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S. Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at SugarAlliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Gallagher.